Well, guys, thanks for being here. We're a small group so far, and I'm sure a few new people will roll in. Um, but it's always nice to chat and get to hear about what's been going on um, with you guys since we met last, which was just a few days ago on Christmas Eve. Um, so welcome here. This is the first Sunday after Christmas. And um, in the church calendar, we're leading up to um, what will be Epiphany in uh, just a few weeks. Um, and what I wanted to make sure that we, um, what we, what I wanted to make sure we at least connected about was, you know, it's, it's easy to go really quickly this turn from what Easter is. Uh, I'm sorry, what? What? What Christmas is? Um, celebrating the birth of Jesus and um, and then hop like right back into to, um, the rest of what we usually do. Um, what I love about the church calendar and how it sets up this Sunday in particular is that um, it focuses on, on what comes after. So we've celebrated Jesus who came and who will come again, but then we get to take this step back into the journey that happens afterwards. Because even though Jesus is born Christmas day, as the biblical story um, shares, the story continues with after some amount of time, um, Joseph and Mary and Jesus having to flee um, where they are. Um, and they flee to Egypt because Herod is prosecuting, is persecuting, um, and and um, and looking to potentially kill and destroy who would be the next king who might um, usurp his authority. And I think it's such a great thing for where we are right now is that there's this celebration of what we've just come through. There's this celebration of God's um, active movement in the world. But then we also shift away from that and recognize that this is still a huge work in progress. Not everything is done. There's still so much for us to do. And um, in just a moment, I want to share a, uh, a reading from the Psalms, um, which is often attributed for this Sunday. Um, and in that kind of recognition of being in that um, already and not yet, this celebratory space, but knowing that there is a lot of work for God to do and a lot of work for us yet to do. Um, because while this particular Herod in the story of the Christmas story um, may no longer be here, there's Herod's all around us. And we take part in systems like those Herods. And so when we celebrate Christmas, it's amazing. And I also, I also want us to um, remember that Jesus coming is the light present in the world that we get to illuminate further. Um, and so with all of that, would you join me in a word of prayer as we open our service this morning? Gracious God, God, you come to us not just as a distant and far off God. To the early Israelites, 
you were a God, not just for them, but a God who would come and redeem the entire world, a God who wasn't just for the tribe of Israel, but was for all of humankind. And in Jesus, you make that even more known. We celebrate the incarnation and in whatever mystical way that happens, the presence of you in this space, the joining together of the physical world we have in the sacred. Um, you are quite literally God among us, in and through each one of us. And we're thankful for this Christmas celebration. God, it's my prayer that we would be a part of the continued movement of your spirit and your light in this world. Amen. I am going to share my screen just so that you can see uh, this psalm as I read it. Um, there we go. Beautiful. Um, so this is this is Psalm 98, and it's often attributed here to uh, this Sunday. And um, this is from the Common English Bible. Rather than reading this uh, as a responsive reading, I just wanted to read these words and um, and and for you to allow them to sit with you. Um, so this is a celebration um, we often celebrate in the same way here at Christmas of Jesus coming and being present in this world among us. But like I said, um, it also, while it recognizes a victory, um, a victory of light and life, it also um, recognizes that that work is not yet finished and that we wait in hopeful anticipation for the continued coming of God and what it ultimately means for God's presence to be with us and in this world is um, to experience justice. Um, so hear these words from Psalm 98 and let this be our prayer this morning. Sing to the Lord a new song because he has done wonderful things. His own strong hand and his own holy arm have won the victory. The Lord has made his salvation widely known. He has revealed his righteousness in the eyes of the nations. God has remembered his loyal love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Every corner of the earth has seen God's salvation. Shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Be happy. Rejoice out loud. Sing your praises. Sing your praises to the Lord with the lyre with the lyre and the sound of music, with trumpets and a horn blast. Shout triumphantly before the Lord, the King. Let the sea and everything in it roar, the world and all its inhabitants too. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains rejoice out loud all together before the Lord, because he is coming to establish justice on the earth. He will establish justice in the world rightly. He will establish justice among all people fairly. God of hope, 
God of love, God of justice and mercy. We give praise, we are so thankful as we see the ways that you have moved in us and in this community and here in this world. God, we're thankful and we wait in anticipation for you to bring your justice because what it means to have your kingdom present here in this place is for us to truly, truly know and experience justice. So for what that means for the people in this community, for our neighbors, for the movement forward of this country, for hope and healing in the midst of a global pandemic. God, we pray this morning for you to establish your justice rightly in the world, a justice that is shown among all people fairly. Amen. Well, we're going to take communion now as we do each week. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to grab something, you can do that real quick. Um, this week, um, this is, I think they call them a holly blossom or something. Uh, Karis's family, I think I shared one of them last time, but they do Christmas cookies each, uh, each year and they sent us a tin, so got to use them up. Um, but as we, as we prepare um, to take communion together, um, I'm just going to share a short um, reading on God and solidarity is what it's called. And um, it's, as many of you know, as the uh, song goes, there are technically 12 days of Christmas, right? And those are the days from Christmas to Epiphany, as Bob was um, talking about, too. Um, and we're in this kind of intentional season. And I know we, a lot of us grew up in traditions and churches that don't really stick to the liturgical calendar. So I just try to do a little bit of explanation when we do more liturgical calendary stuff. But this season is the Christmas season until, until Epiphany. Um, um, and so we have just a little meditation about God and taking on flesh. So. Um, hopefully you've been able to grab something if, if you didn't have it. And I'm going to read God in solidarity. God takes on flesh and joins life in the struggle. This is what radical solidarity feels like. Lives and souls and bodies entangled. Risks and possibilities shared. We're in this together. The mess, the beauty, the work. Don't be afraid to feel hopeful. God's promises are kept. God won't opt out or turn away. God won't give up when things get tough. God won't defend power or privilege or institutions or tradition at the expense of freedom or love or liberation or your worth. God's withness is birthed at the margins. God knows what's at stake. Let all who are weary rejoice. All of evil's deceptions will be revealed and fear of unjust powers will cease. The liberating one now dwells among us, calling upon hearts from all walks of life to open, to take courage, to soften, to release. Behold, the sacred enfleshed 
reveals the way of love. And so with that in mind, as we celebrate the God who is with us in whatever that means for us and however that looks, I invite um, you to take part in reminding us and taking um, God within us, God with us in the form of whatever it is you have, the body of Christ. Um, let's take it now together. And likewise, I invite you to take the cup as a reminder of the covenant that God has made with us, that God is with us. <laughs> May it be so. Amen. Now, I believe we have at least one or two announcements from Angie. Yes, thanks, Max. I can't believe Dana and I just took communion with bacon. If my mom could see me now, she would be very shocked. All right. So this, <laughs> nice, Max. Okay, so this week, um, a lot of the usual stuff, um, the gathering on Wednesday at 7.30 with Philosophy on Thursday at 6 p.m. via the, the same Zoom link. Um, book club uh, will be January 6th at 6.30 p.m. Also via the Zoom link, um, we are reading The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. I'm about halfway done, so I'll be there. Um, and then uh, we do have a blood drive January 11th. And then I know that for, we will be doing an Essentia New Year's Eve and dropping stuff off. Max did say we already have a few volunteers. So thank you everyone. If you are all still interested in joining, please reach out to Max. We could always use more help. And then as always, uh, just a reminder, if you need any help or any support right now, please reach out to us in leadership. All right, passing it on to Aaron. Thanks, Angie. Um, does anybody have any joys or concerns to share today? Any prayer requests, words of thanksgiving, um, go ahead and unmute, or you can always put it in the chat column, and I'll do my best to address it from there. Anybody today? I'll share. Yeah. Um, we found out on Tuesday that our um, nanny, It's we have um, a part-time um APU grad that comes and helps with the kids a couple times every once in a while. <laughs> but one of those times happened to be Monday and she found out on Tuesday that she was positive for COVID and let us know. So she had spent the whole day with us on Monday. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. And we found out while Theo was um, at a sleepover with his cousins, which are the only other people in our bubble. And he hadn't done a sleepover since like last spring. So we immediately went and picked him up and, um, you know, he was standing on the porch with his mask and his little backpack waiting for us when we got him and it was just heartbreaking. Um, and then oh. kind of spent the whole week waiting to, to like figure out, is this a symptom? Is this this allergies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we spent the entire day yesterday getting COVID tests. So yeah. care we went and got the rapid tests and then um, we took the kids through a drive through one to do the um, gold standard one and get and for us to get retested. And so this morning we found out that all of us are negative. Um, so 
Yeah, a huge relief, but it's just been, it's been a hard week and a long week, especially with Christmas thrown in there and just all the stuff that comes with that. So, oh my God, I need to go through that over Christmas. I'm sorry, Max. That's awful. Yeah. But, but it's a joy for today. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, wow. I'm just kind of taking that in. That's, I'm, I'm just feeling for you on that one. That is really, really scary and hard. Um, yeah, well, I'm really happy to hear that y'all, obviously we're all happy to hear that you, you tested negative. Um, what's, can I just ask, what's, what's the plan for you guys moving forward, you know, this coming week? Uh, yeah, there, uh, right now we're not, we don't have any specific steps to take. Yeah. Just quarantining, like, as, sure. as much as we would anyway. That's the crazy part is, like, we don't, don't really go anywhere and we're very, very safe. Yeah, I know you are, yeah. Really just yeah. this one, it's like, oh, no, even even yeah. this safe and having this few people um, in our circles just led to an exposure. Um, and yeah. she, we can, pray, we can pray for, her name's Carlin, um, the kid, mm-hmm. the kid is Annie. Um, she's doing really well, um, all things considered, but she's definitely still sick. Um, yeah. Harris made her some food and brought it up and dropped it off for her because she, yeah. she had to be all alone for Christmas because of it. She was going to try to see her parents, but then obviously she got it so she couldn't. So if we could pray for Carlin, I think um, we'd really appreciate that too. Yeah, absolutely. We just lift up Carlin now and pray for her health and well-being uh, that she might uh, just make a full recovery. And we pray for uh, the Waddells as they are also going through a time of anxiety about the, about this, that they might know peace and comfort in their home, that the children might be safe in Jesus' name. Yeah, Matt, we're with you. Um, let us know if there's anything we can do for you guys. You know, um, I obviously the expectation is that you're okay, <laughs> but you know, let, let us know. And thank you for sh- thank you for sharing that too. Um, it's important for us to remember, you know, that you know people in our community are going through this. So yeah, thank you. Um, anybody else today? Tony was exposed at work. Um, that's Cassandra's uh, husband. Uh, last week too, his tests have all been proven negative. He has another one tomorrow, but same thing over Christmas, trying to get tests and stay home. Yeah, Cassandra, that's awful. And we pray for Tony's well-being as well. Amen. Um, somebody else this morning have anything they want to share? I think maybe, I guess in a, a similar vein, I, you know, we've obviously been taking this very seriously the entire time as well, but I did um, just have to go back the last few weeks to do in-person work, uh, oh, wow. which is not ideal as I meet with people in, uh, you know, <laughs> thanks Angie. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I meet with people, um, you know, to do um, secure interviews. So they need to be in spaces that are generally confidential too. Um, And I've been able to be really safe by it. And I think more more my point um, is it has reminded me once again, how much um, exposure people have had who are like essential workers. Um, who've been doing this this whole time. You know, it's given me anxiety just over a few weeks and here we are in a hopeful place of having a vaccine, but um, but a long journey still to go. So I've, it's reminded me to be mindful of those people who have been essential services all along and making life possible for the rest of us. Um, 
you know, beyond, of course, just first responders who have been on the front lines medically. Yeah. Yeah, let's pray for them and for you. Loving God, we lift up Bob um, as he is uh, working in, in enclosed spaces as, as a result of these interviews. We pray for his safety and well-being, but we lift up all the essential workers um, that he is also working with and, and, and those working within the government, but also those working in grocery stores and, and medical facilities and elsewhere. We pray for their health and well-being, and we give thanks for modern technology and things like vaccines that save lives and the miracle that is um, that kind of medicine. We pray uh, for just everybody getting it as soon as possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, thanks for making us aware of that, Bob, and letting us know where you're at. Anybody else? Hey, Aaron, I had something. This is hey, Isabel. Isabel. Hi. Yeah. Um, so mine was um, more related to mental health, um, yeah. but it's, it's also related to this pandemic. So, you know, I teach online and um, right before we went on our break, um, I was doing a like lunchtime tutoring on, um, for, my, for my school, which is not as a secure um, Zoom link because it's like anyone from the school can log in. <laughs> and anyways, so um, needless to say, I was a victim of a Zoom bombing incident where um, two people joined um, the meeting um, under, you know, false names, of course, and they exposed themselves and did oh, loot acts, no. which I will not talk of here. But so that was really traumatic. It was traumatic for me and also for the small group of kids that were there. And, you know, I'm working with my, obviously my district and trying to kind of, you know, whatever, but they can't track these people down because apparently one of them is like overseas, the other one's in another state. And anyways, but I just, you know, I have like, a lot of concern going back in about a week and a half. You know, um, while my own classrooms are feel are fairly secure because those are, you know, I have set people and there's protocols for that. But I just think it's so sad that this there's people during this pandemic who have sort of hijacked um, hijacked people by doing these really, you know, horrible things to expose. Um, you know, expose people to things that no one ever wants to see when they're like right. trying to do a tutoring right. session, you know, and how it affected me. And I'm still, it's still really hard for me to talk about. So I just wanted to kind of, you yeah. know, take a moment to reflect on that. And hopefully, um, you know, whether it's like a physical safety with, you know, with our health or also our mental health, you know, when we're trying to do our jobs, um, we're just being exposed to so much more than, you know, we've ever had to. Well, what happened to you feels like a violation. I mean, that's that's what it is. Let's just call it that. I'm so Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's pray. We lift up Isabel. Um, as we can tell, she's just reeling from what happened and kind of coping with, just feeling unsafe, even in a in a virtual space, doing her job, taking care of children and and teaching. And we pray for her mental health and well being, um, her sense of inner strength, her sense of inner peace and serenity, and. We lift up all those um, in our midst and our community here uh, right now as they are doing work and, and um, doing things on Zoom with family or doing work. And we pray for everybody's kind of mental health at this time, even though we're reaching hopefully the end of, of this, this moment in history, but we know there's still so much more to come. We, we just pray for everybody's mental health um, that, that 
the level of anxiety and, and that um, the, the, the sadness, the depression, all that comes along with these, these very difficult and trying times. We pray for everybody's mental health and well-being that we all might receive and, and be open to receiving the care and the comfort we need, um, that we might be also wise in choosing how to, how to practice um, just taking care of ourselves and others and, and pray in Jesus' name. And then, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Any, anybody else today that wants to um, um, bring anything forward to talk about or share or pray about? With that, Max, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Thanks, Aaron. Um, we're gonna, I'm not gonna be playing a song today. Um, maybe we'll get back into that in the Lenten season, um, but um, I'm gonna play you a song. Um, it's one of my favorites and it has been for a long time. In some ways, it reminds me of like the anti-hero kind of trope um, that so many of us have come to love in TV shows and movies in recent years. Um, but especially this year, I have just found myself um, playing it a lot, especially in this Christmas season. Um, it's by a group called Paper Route, um, and you, some of you might know them, um, but it's really hard to find the song. You can only find it in one place on YouTube. So thankfully we're gonna be able to play it, um, but there's no video to it. It's just a song. So I, um, I hope you enjoy. It's called, Thank God the Year is Finally Over. I saw you there. 
Right. Thanks, Max. In the spirit of that song, <laughs> I was uh, racking my brain this week trying to think of a topic to address today. And I was talking to Emily about it and she was like, well, why don't, why don't we do like a looking back and looking forward thing, which I thought was a great idea and kind of following the spirit of that song. So since this is the last Sunday of 2020, and, and thank God for that, right? <laughs> I, I want to look back on the last year and take stock of what happened while also looking forward to 2021 and talking about hope. You know, I think this will be remembered as one of the most difficult years in, in U.S. history, and not just because of the pandemic, but that alone could do it, right? I mean, we've lost more than 300,000 American lives so far. To put it in perspective, most years around 30,000 people die from the flu. The pandemic is not even a year old yet. And we've already lost 10 times that. Estimates are that by the time the pandemic is a year old in March, we will have lost uh, over 400,000 lives in the US alone. That is, I think, a number hard to wrap your mind around. I think it's easy to imagine something that's twice as big as something else or three times or four times, but 10 times, I mean, that's really hard to wrap your mind around that kind of a factor. But this year was also a year of profound social unrest and political turmoil, right? Not just with the election, which is still in question in many people's minds, unfortunately, but with the protests over the summer, which sparked by the killing of George Floyd and other people of color at the hands of the police. American cities were turned upside down. Add to that the ongoing social unrest we're seeing by those who are protesting the COVID restrictions and the mask mandates. Just this week, actually, I think it was Monday, uh, armed right-wing militias stormed the Oregon State Capitol building in Salem in an effort to end the COVID restrictions instituted by the governor there. We're talking about hundreds of armed militia members. And yet all of this you know, social unrest is revealing deep divides in the fabric of our society between black and white, left and right, science believers and science deniers. This year, I think more than any other showed us that a lot of what Americans disagree on are not really superficial or merely you know, nuanced differences of opinions that don't amount to much, but really our greatest differences are actually different definitions of reality. We're talking about really different definitions of reality. And those definitions have life and death consequences when it comes down to racial issues or matters of public health when we're faced with a, a public health crisis like this one and a deadly virus. I think this year showed us more than any other in my memory, and I'm 44, uh, how some definitions of reality in America are not just forms of benign naivete, but these different definitions of reality um, are actually, some of these are actually deadly forms of ignorance. They're, they're actually deeply harmful and deadly forms of ignorance. I think the attack on reality itself that's, that's taken place over the last four years coming from the White House reached a crescendo this year with a deluge of conspiracy theories regarding the virus and the election. You know, even Pat Robertson this week is, is said that the president is living in an alternate reality. That's amazing coming from somebody like Pat Robertson, if you know who he is. And, and the president is, along with millions of his supporters. That's a very frightening state of affairs. So, so this is the state of affairs in my estimation. 
looking back over the last year, and I don't know about you, but this year made me feel, and still makes me feel, kind of confused, sad, and discouraged. And I think those are common feelings. And yet I still find things to be hopeful for. I feel hope for 2021 because of the vaccine. I feel hopeful for 2021 because of a new administration in Washington. And to be clear, it will always be hard for me to totally hate this year because this will always be the year that Emily and I had Sophie. And actually, lots of us had babies this year. Bob and Ashley, Jason and Deb, Laura and Eric Reeser, Emily and Taylor Gray, Lakin and Lindsay. Uh, who, who am I missing? <laughs> that's six. Uh, and I think that's everybody. Sorry if I missed someone. That's a lot of babies in a community our size. How, how could we not be hopeful for them and their future? You know, how could we totally despair and hate 2020 with these incredible blessings? Um, I know I can. And for me, this is a reminder that even in the most difficult times, there are always reasons to be hopeful. I'll never forget that I performed a wedding this year in my front yard at the beginning of the pandemic back in March for this couple, Erica and Matthew Smith, who attend Central sometimes. They were actually with us on, on Christmas Eve here. They had their wedding in Georgia canceled for obvious reasons, but asked me if I would still marry them in a socially distant kind of environment, just, just me and them in, in my front yard here. Andrew and Eunice got married this year too. There's something beautiful and profound about major life events like weddings and births occurring during extremely difficult times like these. It's a reminder that life goes on, hope springs eternal, and even in the darkest of times, a light shines. And you know, despair is a dangerous thing because it has a powerful amnesia effect. Despair causes us to forget. It causes us to misremember the past and the fact that there are always moments worth celebrating and things to be thankful for. Susan Griffin, a 76-year-old prominent women's, uh, women's rights activist says this, I've seen enough change in my lifetime to know that despair is not just self-defeating, but unrealistic. I love that line. Despair is not just self-defeating, but it's actually unrealistic. Despair is unrealistic because if we've learned anything from history, it's that the future is uncertain and the way forward is never a straight line. The world is a totally uncertain place. Nobody knows what the future holds and there are endless possibilities, both good and bad. But we can actually embrace the chaotic nature of our world as a good thing. Rebecca Solnit says this, the chaotic nature of the world makes it impossible to ever know the full impact of our actions. We must therefore take a leap of faith and believe that actions driven by love can actually improve the world. This is not blind faith because all of human history indicates that such faith is the only engine of positive change. Choosing to practice hope isn't delusional or naive, it's rational and always been integral to progress. And this reminds me of the, of the parable of, of the mustard seed from Matthew 13, where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is smaller than all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the, than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air um, come and lodge in its branches. The parable of the mustard seed is about how big things have small beginnings, right? And this is how God works in the world. Hope is a mustard seed. Compared to the world's problems and the problems in our lives, it can seem powerless, tiny, and insignificant. But hope, when properly nurtured, changes lives 
and changes the world. Hope is a mustard seed. Hi, Lucy. <laughs> yeah, okay, hold on a minute. And to be clear, being a person of hope doesn't mean you always feel hopeful, right? In fact, I would say that you cannot really be a person of hope unless you also know despair and sorrow, unless you really understand how badly the world really needs people of hope. And in the spirit of being people of hope, I want us to participate in something um, together this week that I think is an act of hope. I want to ask that you send Max this week by Friday, hopefully, uh, a picture from your phone taken this last year that you find hopeful. It can be anything really, right? Or if there was a meme or a post you really like that you found hopeful, um, send that to Max. Max will compile them into a montage that we'll show next Sunday as a meditation. So probably, probably the best way to get them to Max is to email them since he's gonna be putting that together on his computer. But with all that in mind, I wanna open it up for discussion now. I'm, I'm curious, I want us to kind of process the last year together and I, I'm curious how you've experienced hope and despair in, in 2020. And I wanna, I wanna hear about both. You know, what's been the biggest struggle for you this year? Um, what, what's been the biggest source of hope, if, if any? Does anybody wanna, wanna share? I'll share something. Um, so I was listening to, I don't know if anyone listens to Hidden Brain. It's a podcast that, uh, it's an NPR show. I really like it. Max is nodding. Um, but they had an episode recently, it was called like Minimizing Pain, Maximizing Joy. And they talk about how uh, sometimes life can feel like you're in like the movie Groundhog Day and every day is the same. And everything just seems like it just looks and feels the same day after day and sort of. Well, and like metaphorically in life, you can get stuck in a rut, but especially now, it's like, it really feels like Groundhog Day <laughs> for a lot of people, for, you know, myself included. So, you know, that's been kind of challenging. I know for everyone can relate to that this year and uh, especially with the holidays and just not feeling quite the same because of all this. But, uh, but at the same time, I think it's given opportunities for little things that I can appreciate every day that I totally took for granted before you know we were just went for a walk and we were like looking at people's Christmas lights and Angie was like well how come we've never done this like how come we don't look at people's lights and just take time to walk around and just you know and it's like well you know we always had we were going out somewhere doing something we were going to a movie or something else and we didn't take the time to do some simple thing like this so that's been that's been a way that we've dealt with this, but it's also been something that I hope after this, yeah. when things do get back to some kind of normal, I hope I can hang on to my way of appreciating little things that I didn't appreciate before. Um, because that's something that, you know, that's something to be gained from this, I think. So I don't know. That's it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dan. You know, I'm, I'm curious to hear like how you all think the world, our world specifically, I guess, um, our lives are going to be, you know, forever changed by the last year, um, you know, for the better or for the worse. I'm, I'm just curious, kind of like, 
what you think you know moving forward into 2021 and beyond might look like but how how the ramifications of the last year even the last four years <laughs> if you know what i mean um what, what do you think the long-term impact of all this is going to be or, or what do you think you know it can be positive or negative um but i'm just curious about your thoughts regarding that if any just to open it up i i had something aaron yeah go ahead um, mine is more related to like social justice and the political like world, I think, in this really bizarre way, you know, I'm an immigrant, you know, though we came here when I was really young, but, you know, I still see myself as an immigrant. So I think I was like, really, um, kind of like, I don't want to say um, naive, but I guess kind of like I had this idea of like, this is the promised land and there's opportunity and I still feel that way. But I think one thing 2020 has taught me is social justice um, and to kind of have the communities we want. We really need to take action and fight for things. And I don't think I ever really understood that as much as this year. So that's kind of been a blessing. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I think I, I certainly feel that way um, over the last five years, I think, of my life. I've really come to terms with the fact that there's so much that we have to fight for um indiv as individuals and as a community um you know I, I hate to use the cliche that freedom isn't free because that's often misused but there's this idea that you know justice is 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 unfortunately something that has to be fought for it's not given quite often and uh we have to live as such and and that means being people of hope right you can't you can't really care about matters like love and justice or really fight for things like that unless you have the hope that something good can be accomplished um, but you're right, Isabel, it, that's a sobering reflection you have there and, and something to keep in mind moving forward, you know, and just because, you know, Trump might not be in the White House anymore doesn't mean that the work of justice stops because, you know, uh, I have no messianic expectations of, of any elected official, <laughs> uh, you know, so let me just put it, leave it, leave it like that. But um, anybody else want to share something? Your take on the last year, your hope moving forward, you know, what you think the long-term effects are going to be for what transpired over the last 12 months, maybe. I don't know about you all, but I'm I'm continually thinking about how reality itself in some ways has been ruptured. Uh, over the last few years and the damage that's been done to how we collectively kind of define reality as a society. I think I'm still kind of trying to figure out from a, cause I'm, I love philosophy and theology, but I'm constantly thinking about how, you know, I'm trying to, trying to figure out all the different ways that reality itself has been reconfigured. And I wonder if we're gonna be continually unpacking that for the rest of our lives, what's happened over the last four years. I, I really think what's transpired over the last you know, 48 months has changed this nation, this culture uh, irreparably. I, I don't, you know, and I say that as a person of hope, I, but I also feel that there is, there is a sobering, uh, uh, kind of reality or shift in the way that we define reality um, that we're gonna be unpacking for the rest of our lives. This has been a historic year, historic four years. I was gonna kind of say the opposite. I'm surprised at how resilient the um, American people are to 
and resistant to change they are. You would think that after all of this, we'd see more, um, not rioting in the streets, but at least calls for fundamental change. And maybe there is, but it doesn't feel like, to me, it just feels like everything's kind of on hold and we're just waiting to go back to where we were rather than trying to make any sort of long-term change. And it's almost like we don't have a national, I guess the way I put it is we don't have like a national myth or something that we could use to transform ourselves. You know, even the American dream is kind of, to me, reached its conclusion and we don't have anything to replace it that gives me sort of hope that we're moving in any growth direction. I feel like we're just kind of circling the drain. I'm also feeling pretty negative these days, but <laughs> so I apologize for that. Um, but don't apologize. Don't apologize. I don't feel, I don't feel a transformational period happening. I feel like we're just kind of in a rut. And even with like the George Floyd protests or the right wingers um, storming the Capitol, all of those are really small events and they don't like there's, I don't even feel like there's been a, a Great Depression style, you know, po or post Great Depression FDR type of, you know, let's let's fix our society kind of movement. It it all just feels like we're all just stuck in the dark, uh, or feel like this is this is the best it can get. So. I appreciate the honesty of that reflection, and and um, I'm curious how other people feel about about that. Um, agree, disagree with Jason? Do you remember when Obama won the presidency the first time? I and do. He, and he uh, got the Nobel Prize, and yeah. Americans were like, "What for? What did he do?" But the rest of the world is like, "You all are so blind to how racist you really are, and what a miracle it is that he was elected." Um, at least that's how I interpreted what happened. But um, I feel like going, I follow a lot of conservative pastors, et cetera, et cetera. And um, a lot of conservative people online. And I think 2021 is in the next four years or five years are going to be far worse than they are now, just because yeah. I feel like there might be a rise in a um, conservative militant collective because people aren't allowed to work and they're not allowed to make their money and we're disrupting our capitalistic identity. And um, I don't say that as someone who's pessimistic. I say that as someone who's like obnoxiously optimistic, but I feel like we are in massive denial about how massively racist we are and how much we use racism to support our sense of identity and our sense of self-worth. And we live in progressive communities. And so we're allowed to sort, we can shut that out, but it's just gonna grow. And people are gonna use different rhetoric to make it more acceptable and more appealing, but it's, it's definitely racist. And um, from a supremacist mentality. And I just, um, I think the only way to engage it or to combat it is not to be combative, but to stay engaged and to stay in dialogue and to continue to deconstruct toxic theology, toxic rhetoric, toxic um, patriotism, 
and but not to mil be militant back i don't think that's going to be the answer otherwise we're just going to destroy ourselves but um i do see that only increasing and becoming more public so that's mm -hmm. it yeah thank you thank you ashley you know and i i have to remind myself that you know even just even just helping one person you know, change and being a part of a small community where people grow and change in the ways that we have. You know, I'm when you brought up Obama, I thought back about myself in 2008. That was the first year he he won, right? Was it 2008? Yeah, I remember I was living in Studio City at the time and was still something of a conservative, and I was not overjoyed that Obama won. Um, you know, I'll be really honest. That's where I was at 12 years ago. I would never have thought of myself as a racist, but I remember being just kind of like, yeah. You know, I kind of, I, I, so I think about how much I've changed in the last 12 years as a result of the deconstruction theologically, but my entire worldview has gone through. And, and I see that in this community. I'm simply saying that even if we're part of a small group of people that's changing one or two people at a time, you know, I think that's something to celebrate and be hopeful in and focus on because you can, you can get lost in despair of the bigger picture. Because I think, I think there's something really um, right about Jason's reflection and your reflection, Ashley, that we have to admit that maybe the world is getting worse, right? And we, we, have, we have to acknowledge that. This community is all about acknowledging the dark side, right? So to speak. Um, but learning that we can still find you know, motivation and encouragement and, and things to celebrate in the midst of that suffering in the midst of that darkness, so to speak. Um, and, and for me, it's about, you know, helping just one, one or two people, you know, a year or something like, that. I don't know. I'm just saying that, that we can still see changes in people's lives and see growth and be a part of that in a small way. And maybe that's where our focus needs to be, I guess. I'm just speaking extemporaneously. Anyway, somebody else want to share any thoughts about that? Max. I was just going to say it's, this is, this is, I mean, it's why the, all philosophers of all time, right, debate these questions. But it's like, this is the big question because in many ways, the, the world has always been getting worse, right? And the world has always been getting better, right? It's never, and I know it feels, and I find myself also just existentially being like, <laughs> there are a lot of cliffs, so to speak, that it seems that we are approaching rapidly. Um, but I'm also just reminded of how, you know, each generation has faced potential end of the world scenarios and that in the midst of those right there there are choices on a moment by moment basis for us to say keep let's keep going or let's call it quits um and i don't i don't say that to take away any power from either side of where you find yourself in the in the equation but just to say that both coexist um, and I, and it makes me appreciative for like communities like this, right? Because we say that we believe in a, in a God or, you know, or a community or a reason for gathering, whatever you want to label it because both exist right in the midst of our humanity at all times. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is I, yeah, I could give you <laughs> an endless list of how things are getting worse and how, um, dark it feels and how insurmountable it feels. I think things are going to get uh, scarier than they are now, worse than they are now. I think that's a given. Um, and right. I've seen hopefulness. I've seen people, I think Isabel um, mentioned earlier, I've seen people waking up to 
the world and waking up to matters of justice and waking up and saying, how have we spent our whole lives just accepting what we've been told? And how have we spent our whole lives just taking the bare minimum? And how have we spent our whole lives treating each other like this? And, and more people than I've ever seen before are waking up in those ways and saying, I want to live differently. We have to live differently. Like we are approaching a cliff and we have to make a choice. So I find I find some hope in those in those moments. I think um, I think those I wish there were more of those moments, but I think I have to be able to name that there are lots of them, and there are lots of people who are choosing to try to live better and choosing to try to live the world, uh, make the world a better place, even as so many others, you know, try to drive it into the ground. So this has always been the battle, and I think it always will be the battle. Um, and we, we kind of just have to make a day by day decision about what we're going to do. Um, just just a quick um, reflection. I keep finding myself looking back with rose colored glasses and thinking, oh man, I can't wait till things are the same. Like I've been thinking about sending the kids back to school, hopefully in June, so that my son doesn't go off the rails in kindergarten and thinking that dropping him off at preschool is going to be the same process. And then the dread sit, like sets in of, oh no, nothing will ever be the same. Um, but it's kind of hopeful. I don't know if this is making sense, but the reason it's hopeful is because I can now teach my kids and myself that life is going to be uncomfortable. And you have to live in that discomfort in order for things to get better, in order to, I don't know, find the good things. But I think I'm finding hope in, we have lived in extreme discomfort for <laughs> many, many months now and not knowing what's happening next. And I'm hoping that going forward, it's going to make my kids stronger. It's going to make us stronger it's going to make my marriage stronger, <laughs> you know, because the, there's just so much that's been happening. So I guess, I guess that's my hope um, is that somehow we all come out of this a little bit stronger, even if it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, thank you for that, May. Yeah, I like the perspective. Somebody else. Thanks for being here today. We'll end a little early, maybe. Uh, it's a kind of a holiday weekend, but uh, I wanna encourage everybody um, to participate in this little piece of homework, maybe. Send Max uh, a hopeful picture. Uh, it can be anything from your phone um, or any, something you saw online that you found hopeful. It can be a sunset, can be a meal you had, can be pictures of your family, anything. Um, and uh, he'll put together a montage and we'll, We'll have a visual representation next week of, of, of some hope. And um, yeah, I just want to encourage you all to be thinking about, you know, what you're grateful for this week and, and hopeful for, and, and let's share in that together. Um, but thanks for being here. Um, thanks for, you know, this is the last Sunday of 2020. I just want to say thanks for 
going through this year with us. And um, I do think 2021 will look different than 2020 in some good ways. Uh, and I hope you feel the same way too. Uh, but uh, otherwise, thank you so much for journeying with this crazy little community we call Central and this virtual space and wrestling with what we've been wrestling with. Um, I do wanna say that uh, in January, I'm gonna be addressing some, some topics you might be interested in and I'll be promoting these on Facebook. I want to talk about, I want to, I've never talked about abortion before uh, on, you know, we've never really addressed that and it's a huge social issue. And I think there's some things we could talk about, about that. And uh, I also want to talk about this, this thing called critical race theory and critical theory that's certainly come up in pop culture lately. And I've been asked uh, by a few people, what is critical theory? What is critical race theory? And I think as a community that cares greatly about social justice, uh, and philosophy, we should talk about those things. And I also want to talk about indigenous religion uh, in, in January and talk about, I've I'm really been interested in indigenous religions lately and how they really reconnect us to the fabric of life in ways maybe that we don't already anticipate or understand. And I think that can inform our faith and spirituality in unique ways. So I'm going to be talking about those things in January. Um, yeah, just to kind of give you a little preview, but um, thanks for being here in 2020 and go in peace. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>